We have a big fat joke on the, on the screen this morning. It's a snowflake. <laughs> Hope you've been enjoying the weather. I have. We're glad you're here. Uh, we trust that uh, you had to say no to something in order to say yes to Southfield this morning. So figure out what that the figure out what that was that you said no to, and I just want to encourage you make it worth it. Make it worth it. It all depends on you to lean in. We're glad you're here at Southfield. Uh, we're excited to continue a series called "This Little Piggy Met Jesus," and uh, excited to see where that takes us today. In the meanwhile, there's a lot of people in this room that you are sing, sing, singing with, and we just want to encourage you to meet a few of those. So would you would you do this? Would you turn to somebody near you and and catch a, a name or or welcome somebody, warm somebody else up, and uh, take a few minutes to do that, and we'll jump back into music. Why don't you have a seat? As you do, I want to counter uh, Justin's big fat snowflake joke. Where has he lived all his life? It's only March 20th. It could snow all the way to the end of May, and you know it. Keep going. Uh, Good morning. On the inside of your folder, you'll find a card. It says Southfield card on it. Would you take that out right now? I have a couple things I'd like you to do with your card today. First, I'd like you to go ahead and put your name on it. Whether this is your first time or you've been here many times, go ahead and put your name on the card. If this is your first time, put as much information as you're comfortable putting on the card. And as you're leaving today, we have a gift for you. You'll see a table as you're walking out the door. There's a book there that we'd like you to take as our gift to you just to say thanks for being here today. Uh, On top of that, there's some other things I'd like you to be aware of on your card today. And I want you to get them checked off or written right now because sometimes the offering comes quickly and you don't get a chance to do that. We mentioned last week that we've got a couple of opportunities this summer to get baptized in our outdoor services. If you've been thinking about getting baptized, you notice the little box on the back. It says baptism this summer. Check that off and we'll contact you about that. Uh, You also have the opportunity to receive emails from the church We send them out uh, consistently, try to keep you informed of what's going on. If you want emails, check off emails. Some of you say, I keep checking it off and nothing happens. That's because our emails are going to a magic place called spam. So if you would go to your spam folder and look, you'd find all these emails from me. De-spam me, get me back over where I belong. And the one thing you can do to make sure it never goes to spam again is put southfieldchurchatgmail.com in your address book, and that will keep that from happening. The other thing, the snowflakes are going away soon. We're going to be uh, redoing our signs for the summer, get the season right. And as we do, uh, we want to make sure that we have our signs well placed throughout the community. If you'd be willing to put a sign in your lawn on the weekend or you'd be willing to be involved in, in setting up signs strategically around the community, if you'd just write the word signs on your card today, uh, we'll contact you about that as well. Father, we are grateful this morning uh, that we get this opportunity to encounter you once again. And as we do, I pray that our ears uh, would be open to the words that are said and our hearts would be receptive to everything you're telling us today, that we would choose to grow. We would not choose to stay where we are, but we'd always choose to grow and change and become more like Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Uh, People groups, families, communities... They all have customs, they have traditions, rituals and routines that that become part of their system. Uh, It's just kind of their their way of doing life. 
After a while, uh, those who initiate the habits, if they don't talk about the why behind them or the reason behind them, two things start to happen. One, a bunch of people start doing something out of routine, but they have no idea why they're doing it. And so they lose the full benefit of it because they don't know the meaning. And also when, when outsiders or newcomers come along and ask, why do we do that? Insiders either make up a reason or, or they say, I, I don't know, we just do it. Well, part of my role in, in our family is to kind of keep the why behind the what out in front of everybody, to keep it front and center so that we know why we do the things we do. We know the reasons. I, I want you to get the fullest experience, the best experience, about out of being part of Southfield every week. And I want you to be able to accurately tell others why we do what we do. So what we're doing right now, Southfield places a high priority on biblical teaching. It's a major aspect of, of what we do on Sunday morning. We believe the Bible tells us that God wants us to gather regularly for worship. And worship isn't just singing, and it isn't just praying. It's also learning that leads to life change. You see, true worship isn't just a church service. It's a way of life that goes on all week long. Now, with respect to teaching, we hold this core truth. We believe that the Bible, the message of the Bible, is timeless. It doesn't change. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with time. It doesn't change according to opinion. It, it's always the same, and it can always be relied upon. Some people will say they need to make the Bible relevant. We don't need to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant for all times. The message is timeless. But there's another thing that you need to understand. Even though the message is timeless and changeless, people change, cultures change, and because of that, methods of learning change. The Bible gives us freedom to adapt our method of teaching to convey the timeless truth of the Bible most effectively. And over the years, we've adapted our methods of communication. Even what I'm doing right now. If you'd have been here 15 years ago, uh, I'd be standing behind a wooden pulpit that was about 8 to 10 feet across in a blue suit and a nice tie. Things have changed a little bit over the time in the way that we deliver the message. We've adapted because people have changed. And the way we learn has changed. We've moved from being people who um, are able to sit and listen to a lengthy presentation, uh, an oral argument, to people whose minds are more fragmented. We, we tend to bounce more than we used to. The way our brains process information has been impacted by the bombardment of media images and messages that we get all the time. Uh, you know by now, American culture is intensely visual. And because it's intensely visual, we try to do things that keep that piece of the teaching going as well. So to adapt to this learning style, we try to use object lessons and media to get the message across, to reinforce what we're talking about. In the time that we've been using media, there have been a handful of clips that have stood out. I mean, I'll mention them, and people, they can go back to them right away. And no, I'm not talking about the, the piggy in the car. They're high-impact pieces that clearly convey uh, the message. The one we're going to view this morning is one of those high-impact pieces. In fact, the message is so compelling that I promise you, once it's done, 
I could just close in prayer and we could go home, which you know will never happen, but I could. <laughs> so here we go. This one uh, is called God Feel that pain right there between your eyes right now? It's the whack of the two by four of truth, and it just hit us all. Dude, he brought the pie. He's the one that provided it in the first place. We're so funny when it comes to possessions. Somehow we get the idea that we are the owners of things, and we get to decide what we're going to give to God from the things that we own. But, but, dude. He brought the pie. Today we're continuing this series. This little piggy met Jesus. This piggy, our piggy bank. And we need to ask ourselves, is the God of my life also the God of my stuff? Does he actually rule my piggy bank or not? Last week we talked about one of the roles of Jesus when he came to this earth. He came to describe another world to us, the world of God. He came to to fill in the blanks, to let us know what life is like in heaven and what it would have been like on earth if not for Genesis 3, if not for people falling to temptation and becoming sinful. Last week we learned about the value of the dollar, or, or really more aptly, the lack of value in a dollar. We learned of the values of heaven, that God is the most valuable Thing in all of the universe, the most valuable person, that's who we should want most dearly. And that the things that matter most are the things that are eternal, not the things of this world. Now, until we're in heaven, we're going to live in a world system that places the highest value on stuff and on accumulating stuff. It does not place a high value at all on God. How are we supposed to live while we're here? How are we supposed to live when God has one set of values and the world has a totally different one? Well, Jesus came to explain that to us as well. Today, we're going to allow this little piggy to encounter Jesus. And here's what we're going to learn. Once we embrace God's identity as defined and described by Jesus, the role of stuff the role of possessions in our lives gets placed in its proper perspective. When we really learn who God is, the things of our life end up on the proper shelves. Jesus served as a bridge between our earthbound experience and a realm we have not experienced yet. He helps us to know things that we could never know apart from him telling us. And one of the things he tells us is the identity of God in heaven. He fills in some blanks so that we can know God better. Jesus recognized that we earthbound people have a skewed view of God. Some people see God as as distant and removed. He's, He's transcendent and he's uninvolved in real life. He's out of range and he's totally uncaring. They, saw, they see God as someone to be revered and honored, but not necessarily someone who is to be loved and embraced. The Jewish people had such a high regard for God that his formal name was never even spoken among them. The most important 
and most often used name for God in Judaism is called the, the Tetragrammaton. Uh, get that word down. You can use it at lunch and you can sound really smart. It's basically, it means the four-letter name for God. And you see the four Hebrew letters there, which, by the way, you're reading from, from right to left, not left to right. The letters in English are Y-H-W-H, or it could also be J-H-W-H. We would pronounce it Jehovah. When you come across this word in an English Bible, which, by the way, it's used in the Hebrew Bible 6,828 times. Remember, that's just the Old Testament. When you see it in an English Bible, it's translated with the word, the Lord, and Lord is spelled in caps, capital L-O-R-D. So when you see it in caps, you know that that is this four-letter name for God. When I was taking Hebrew in seminary, my professor, when he would be reading aloud and he would come across the Tetragrammaton, he would actually, rather than reading the word Jehovah, he would replace it with the word Adonai. And this is what, what Jewish people have done for centuries. They replaced it with a different word, not a name for God. Adonai means Lord, not a name for God, but they said it's God's title instead. They revered his name so much that they would not speak his name aloud. This gives you an idea of the kind of reverence people had for God and the way that they treated God. Now, Jesus transforms our human perspective on God with a new word. Are you ready for it? Father. He uses the word Father instead. Instead of a four-letter word that could not be spoken, he says, call him Father. We, we see it at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. He says this name is just as holy as that four-letter word. And Jesus, throughout his teaching ministry, unfolds and explains the implications of God as our Father. Look at these verses. Matthew chapter 5 beginning with verse 44, says, But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In the same way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For God gives sunlight to the evil and the good. He gives rain to the just and the unjust alike. He says, when you treat your enemies well, you're acting like your Father. You're acting like you're part of His family. He goes on in Matthew 5:48 to say, Be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect says, have the character of your father. Act like your dad. Matthew 6, 3 to 4 says, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That was his way of saying, don't ring bells. Don't make up plaques. Don't make it public. Give privately. And then he says, give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything. And don't parents see everything? And your father who sees everything will reward you. It's so fun catching your kid doing something right and then later saying, nobody else saw it, but I did. Matthew 6, 7 and 9, when you pray, don't babble on and on as other people in other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Make your prayers personal. Make your prayers meaningful. Talk to Him like He's your Father. Matthew 10, 29 to 31 he talks about this. We, we talked about this last week. What's the price of two sparrows? A copper coin. 
And he talks about the fact that something that is so worthless in a, in a human perspective, something worth a copper coin, God cares about that. And if God cares about a sparrow, wouldn't he as your father care a whole lot more about you? Matthew 11:25. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Forgive your siblings. Forgive, forgive those in the family so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Luke 6:36 again character you must be compassionate just like your father in heaven is compassionate Luke 12:29 to 30 and don't be concerned about what you're going to eat or drink don't worry about such things these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world but your father already knows your needs we're part of a family and our father is God He is not someone who is distant and removed. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Now, Jesus takes the identity of God even a step further. Uh, You may know this. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. But in the time in which Jesus was on earth, the Jewish people spoke Aramaic. Jesus used an Aramaic term, an Aramaic word, when he spoke of God. It is the word Abba, like the singing group, A-B-B-A. Abba was uh, Aramaic baby talk. It was like saying da, or dada, or daddy, or pa, or papa. Jesus used this term for God in a moment of grave seriousness in his life. A moment where he really wanted the attention of his father. He's in the garden pleading for a different way for the mission of salvation to be accomplished. And this is what he says. Abba, Father, he cried out. Daddy, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I have three kids, and it's funny. They all have um, their own way of getting my attention. You know, they'll, they'll use terms and whatever to get my attention. But it's funny, with every one of them, I can tell when they really want something. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll speak in a certain tone. They'll use a certain word, especially the girl. She can reach in, grab my heart, pull it out, and I'll give her five million bucks on the spot. Five million I don't have. But anyway, I'll do anything for her. We use those words. Jesus uses a total term of endearment. This isn't a formal moment. This isn't a moment where, where he's approaching a God that he's fearful of. He's approaching his daddy. He didn't pray in a hyper-formal way. He's warm and familiar. Daddy, hear me. When Jesus used this word in front of religious people, I can just imagine the reaction. Uh, they, they, they'd squish up their faces, and they, they'd shake their heads slowly, and they, they'd kind of raise their shoulders and just, oh, don't do that. Uh, you know how I know that? Did you ever watch DC Cupcakes? I think that's what the show is. is that DC Cupcakes, Kim? Is that what it's called? Huh? Huh? Yeah, DC Cupcakes. Anybody watch that? I'm coming to, I'm coming to the house of the people that don't watch it. Um, Kim and Shelly watch this, and I just endure it. There are two grown women running a bakery, and their mom works there. And you know what they call their mom? Mommy. Mommy. They have the other employees call her Mommy. 
Everyone refers to her as mommy. And I'm not kidding. Every time they say mommy, my face squishes up, my head shakes, and my shoulders go up. I'm just like, ick. It's, it's your mother. It's not your mommy. Stop that. You know, for centuries, people didn't even dare to speak the formal name of God. And here's Jesus saying, call him daddy. Call him daddy. How do you think they responded to that? You know, I suspect that this morning, if I had just started praying and without explanation, I'd have said, dear daddy. Some of you would have peeked, looked around the room to see if my dad was here from Tennessee. And then after you realized he wasn't, you would have squished up your face, shook your head, raised your shoulders and said, oh, it's just not right. You shouldn't call God Daddy. He's the Almighty One. We should treat Him with reverence and awe, not with informality, not Daddy. Well, honestly, at this point, your argument is with Jesus, not me. So spend time talking to Him with it about this week. Uh, he's the one that says we should call Him Heavenly Father. We should call Him Dad. Now, you might ask, okay, so what does this have to do with the piggy? What does this have to do with our possessions and, and all that goes into that? I already mentioned I've, I'm a dad of three kids. Dads know how their kids think. You just know it. You can, you can tell. You can see their actions. You know what's going on in their minds. And, and dads and moms pay attention to the words their kids say. They, they know at different stages of life how their kids communicate. We're going to play a little game of family feud, Okay. Uh, take, out your, take out your folder, blank space there, and a pen. I've asked Kristen and Jennifer Fair to be our representatives for this game. I want you to write down the first five words a child speaks. Go ahead. Take a moment here. The first five words that come, not in a row, not like a mini sentence, but what are the first five words a child speaks in their existence? Now, I've given Chris and Jennifer a little bit of time to think this one out. So, are you ready with your words? Go ahead and say them out loud. Mom? Mom? Dad? More? No? Yes. Hmm. Mom, Dad, no more? Yes. Interesting. I had Carlson's do it in the first service. Very similar. These are the ones from the official survey. I surveyed 1,500 people, all within my head, different personalities. And this is what they said. Mama, Dada, Baba. No. Mine. Any of your lists look like that? Yeah. No and mine. Our Father in Heaven gets it. He knows that from the day of birth, you've been ingrained with two words. No and mine. And he spends the rest of our existence as we clutch our little toys, ripping back one finger at a time and saying, share and give. And we say, no, mine. I'm not going to give up the things that belong to me. Like little, little children, we hate those words, share and give. You want a real object lesson on your way home today? If you have children, stop at a store on the way home and buy a bag of Skittles. Just one. All right? Just one bag of Skittles. And give it to one of the children in your car and only one. Oh, this is fun. 
Uh, you're going you're gonna to have future episodes of Oprah over this one. This is great. Here's what's going to happen. First thing, of course, is that kid is going to rip that bag open because they're, the Skittles belong to them. And they're starving to death after church. You know that routine. So in their starvation, they start ripping in and eating their Skittles. And then they take a peek to either side and they see eyeballs glued to them. Hungry eyeballs, starving eyeballs staring at them. What does this cause the kid to do? Conceal the bag. (laughs) Bring it in close. Oh, no, the vultures. They're after my stuff. Now, the other kids will start to moan and gasp. And one of them will actually be gallish enough to actually say, can I have some? What happens then? Oh, my word. Verbal protests, gasps, everything from the kid with the bag. So here's where the experiment gets a little fun. I want you to turn your head, keep your eye on the road as much as you can, you know, but quick turn and just say, hey, share them. Oh, my word. I mean, it's like you just said, give up a limb, you know, share them. And then what do you watch? This process of begrudging uh, rationing. One Skittle. Ding. One Skittle. Ding. There, I shared. I was really good. So take it a little further. Give me some. It's amazing how some becomes defined as one. And one is green. Every time. Every time. It it blows your mind away. You watch this thing happen. I know what you're doing. You're saying, I bought the bag. I bought it. How in the world do you dare call it mine? It's not yours. I gave it to you. And as you're scratching your head, think about the similarities between us and Abba. Think about the similarities between us and our Father in heaven. He gives us all great things. Great things. We rip into them. They're ours, aren't they? Other people eyeball them. They look at them. So what do we do? We conceal them. We hug them a little closer. Someone will actually ask, have the nerve to ask you to share. And you're like, oh. And so you go ahead and give a little bit because you know that's what Christians do. And then God presses you a bit and you're going, no, I don't want to share. I don't want to give. It's mine. It belongs to me. And then God has the nerve to ask him, what do we do? We give him one green Skittle. Here you go, God. And we get the obligation out of the way. We're so funny. We actually think it's our stuff. We say things like, I worked for this. I earned this. I deserve this. I've actually heard people say, I didn't see God at work with me. I did this. But dude, he brought the pie. He brought the pie. He baked the pie. He invented the recipe. He's the one that created the ingredients for the pie. He gave us the breath in our lungs, the strength in our bodies, the ideas in our minds. He gave us everything that we claim to possess as our own. Where do we get off saying my, mine, and no? We have no right to do that when it comes to our Father God wants us to see ourselves not as owners of possessions, but as kids in his family. We're kids in his family. I love my kids. I love them dearly. There, is, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for them, and there isn't anything I wouldn't give to them. But, but technically, let's be uh, you know, transparent about this. My kids don't own everything I own. They think they do, but they don't. My house belongs to Dennis Papp. 
Kimpap, and Wells Fargo Bank. Their, their name isn't on it, and, and they have never paid one house payment. That, that's, that's ours. Uh, the cars, I bought them with the money I earned. They get to use it, but they can't rightfully say, this is my car. The TV and other entertainment devices that they occasionally allow me to use, they're mine. I bought them. I buy the food. I bought the fridge. I bought the stove. They're mine. They're not theirs. But here's the thing. I let them use them because I love them and because they're in my family. But for them to say all that stuff is mine is a real stretch, isn't it? As a father, I really only ask a few things. I ask that they express gratitude. I express that they take good care of my things when they use them. I ask them to share with the others in the family. And I ask them to use my stuff in a way that is consistent with our family identity. Don't use my things in a way that, that, that are contrary to Christian values or contrary to the values of our family. Abba has the same deal going with us. He wants us to express gratitude. That's why we pray before we eat. Some of you pray after you eat. You say, thank you, God. Thank you for this food. We take good care of his things. That's what he wants. He wants us to share with others in the family. And he wants us to use his stuff in a way that's consistent with our family identity as followers of Jesus and children of Abba. Now, maybe this whole kid analogy just isn't working for you. You're too grown up. You're too mature. I understand that. Instead, think of yourself as a manager. We're not owners. We're managers. Everything belongs to God, and we get to manage it for him. As God's manager, here's what he asks us to do. Live within our means. Invest in things that matter. Give all you can. And bring honor to his name by the way we live. That's what he wants. Managers only need apply. There are no owners on earth. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we as his children get to use his things because he loves us and he wants good things for us. Once we embrace God's identity as defined and described by Jesus as Abba, the role of stuff in our lives gets placed in its proper perspective. It's not mine, it's his. And as a kid, I get to use his stuff. All he asks is that I take good care of his stuff, share with others in the family, bring honor to the family name, and always remember to say thank you and to be completely grateful. Let's talk to our Father right now. Dear Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that we get to use your name, that we get to call you by name, that you get to hear our hearts as we say, Father. As a father, we know you love us. We know you don't want to withhold anything from us. But God, we also know that everything is yours. And sometimes, as your kids, we act like brats. We just act like little spoiled kids. And we don't get it. God, I pray that you would help us to adjust the way we think about stuff. 
that we'd realize that possessions, everything is yours. It's not ours. We get to use it. When we think of ourselves as owners, that's when we get possessed by our stuff. And we don't want to live that way. Throughout this week, challenge us with the perspective of your identity as daddy. Help us to see you with new eyes, not as someone who is far off, distant, and removed, but someone who is intimately involved in every detail of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who loves us so much. Amen. God has given us great things. And the greatest thing God gave you is His Son. Jesus came to earth at the Father's request and command to be the sacrifice for our sin. If we want to pay for our own sin, the only way we can do that is to die and to pay for it eternally in hell. God provided a better way. Instead of having to pay your own sin bill, he sent Jesus to die to pay yours. And all he asks is that we call out to him, acknowledge him as the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our lives. That's what God has given to you. He's given you eternal life. He's given you the privilege of being part of his family. And then he gave us a symbol, a reminder that we participated in often. A reminder through a piece of bread and through some juice. A reminder of the body and blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for us. And we're to participate in that right now. It's called communion. A tray is going to be passed to you and it's got two cups, one inside of the other. One has the bread, the other has the juice. And as you participate in communion this morning, why don't you in a prayer in your mind actually use the word daddy in referring to God. Get comfortable with that. That's the way he wants you to think of him. He's your daddy, and he loves you. Dad, being a part of your family is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And uh, we just want to say thank you for inviting us in and always covering us. You have never failed to provide for us. Uh, you've never failed to be the shelter that we can run to. You're always dependable. And uh, your loyalty and your love is, is teaching us um, how to be loyal and love others. Uh, we thank you for the bridge that you provided for us in the whole adoption process. And we just want to ask for your help that... Uh, um, that we'll be able to view every Skittle that we have as one that you funded and uh, that we would uh, dispose of them as, uh, as you would have us, whether we're being responsible for our families or giving back to you or, or blessing others uh, for your sake. God, help us to be good managers and um, to have the right perspective. We love you much. In your name we pray. Amen. As we continue this morning, we're going to uh, receive the offering and we'll call our servers forward now.
And uh, and as we do this, we we realize that uh, everybody has a different bag of Skittles. And uh, that's what this series is about, is asking God what what he thinks. Um, and for those of you who give, we just want to say thank you. It's you. You are funding you are your your act of worship to God is also funding uh, the, the ministry that happens here at Southfield. And we're seeing people. Uh, being able to come back to God and ministries that are reaching people who really need it. So uh, we just want to say thanks and and uh, and way to go. And we also want to give you a heads up after this series wraps up next week, uh, this little piggy met Jesus. We're going to start a new series in April that uh, we're really excited about. Um, it has sort of a depth factor that not every series has. It's called Scar, and when I mean depth, what I mean is very, very personal. Scar is going to be about those few things in our lives. Every one of us has them. They're those things that we never would have chosen for ourselves, and those, would be, and those experiences would be the first that we would erase if we had the opportunity. We believe that God has a plan for those, those moments, those wounds, those experiences, those scars. And that's what this series is going to be about. The series is going to culminate on Easter. And so, first of all, we want to ask you to start thinking ahead and looking ahead. Look in your sphere of, uh, of influence and the people in your life who really need a church to, to be in on Sundays. And you might be the only person they know who is fully convinced of the church that they belong to. Plan on inviting them soon, maybe even on Easter. Secondly, a survey is going to be coming around that you'll have the opportunity to take. Uh, probably we'll make it available through the Southfield emails as well as a link on the website. It'll be a completely anonymous uh, survey, but it will ask you about your scars. We'd like to hear from you because we'd like to be familiar with the scars that our church um, has been given. Um, the scars that God has allowed us to go through. Tell us a lot about who we have here. And also, we believe... Tell us a lot about what God wants to do through our church. Because the scars that he's allowed us to heal from are the very scars that somebody else right now out in Shanahan and beyond is learning, is trying to figure out how to cope with. And uh, we believe that maybe God's plan is to use Southfield. So expect that coming soon. We're going to wrap this morning up with a little bit more musical worship. We want to invite you to stand as we uh, sing about the truth that God is more than enough. So... Feel free to sing out. Feel free to put your hands together. Make some noise for our God.